Yeah, well, good morning, church. Uh, really good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I do have the privilege of giving you God's word uh, this morning. Uh, before we dive into the last uh, sermon in our sermon series on the Sabbath, I wanted to double down on that Alpha announcement. Uh, so uh, I think I mentioned that we might do another Alpha in October or November, but um, I just felt God pressing it upon my heart to just try to speed this up a little bit. So we're uh, actually going to be offering the next Alpha course on May 3rd, which is a Wednesday night from now on, a Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Uh, till June 21st, which is another Wednesday night. And so if you're interested in joining Alpha course, this is a course designed to teach people about the fundamentals of Christianity. And so uh, we teach about who is Jesus, what are the scriptures, what is, um, you know, who is the Holy Spirit, um, what does it mean that God is triune, uh, all of these different things. And there is an apologetic bend to it, meaning that we do talk a little bit about the evidence, but it's mainly just a starter course, if you would, for Christians. And so, or sorry, uh, for people who want to learn more about the faith. Uh, but the beauty of Alpha is really in the conversations. It's a space for you to doubt, for you to question. And so if you're a Christian and you're bitter at God, this is for you. If you're a skeptic and you have uh, just no knowledge of Christianity and you want to learn more, this is for you. Um, and everything and everyone in between that is also welcome to come and just share uh, about what they believe and about how they're wrestling through their faith and whatnot. Uh, and so we are offering this again on May 3rd. That's a Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. And if you're interested, please join us. If you have kids, we also have childcare. So please, uh, you can use this as a date night too. We, have, we serve dinner. We, uh, you know, we, um, yeah, it's, it's a great evening. So uh, you can use it as a time to just uh, hang out with your spouse as well. Um, but please consider signing up for that um, alpha on May uh, 3rd uh, to June 21st. All right, well, we are in the final sermon of our Sabbath series. Man, can you believe it already? It's been six weeks. And for the last six weeks, we've just been talking about the Sabbath. And the hope for the sermon today is I'm going to try to get really practical here because my last attempt at this is to really, for those of you who have been Sabbathing, I want to tell you like, hey, like keep Sabbathing even after this is done. Uh, and for those of you who have not yet started Sabbathing, this is kind of my last final plea and call to you to be like, come on, guys, let's Sabbath together, okay? So that's my hope. Uh, and the way I'm going to go about this is over the last five weeks, I've been kind of describing to you the Sabbath. But this week, what I want to share with you is just like, hey, just try it. Just do it. That's what I want to try to get to you today. Uh, because, right, like if you go to, let's just say you eat at this phenomenal restaurant and you're trying to tell your friends about it, you're like, man, like the ambiance was great, the service was great, the steaks were good, the mashed potatoes were good. And you can describe all these things to them, but ultimately for them to get as passionately on fire about this restaurant, you have to just say, bro, just come and eat. Just come and try the food. And the kind of unfortunate but, um, but also fortunate thing about the Sabbath is it's sort of unlike a meal, though. It's more like the piano. Right, where if you want to experience the joy of playing the piano, you have to do it for a long period of time. Right, if you, if you just play the piano once, you try it, and you're like, dude, this sucks, man. Well, it's because you're just starting it. <laughs> of course it's going to be hard. Um, but if you play for a year, and as you start to get the piano down, you get to be, experience the joy of the piano. And the same thing is true of the Sabbath. If you're going to try the Sabbath, you have to try for an extended period of time so that you can fail, so that you can fall, so you can readjust and replan and do all these things and get better at it. But as you get better at Sabbathing, what you're going to notice is the joy of the Sabbath is going to come alive for you. And so that's my hope today is just one last kind of final plea and call to you to really Sabbath. Uh, and so we're going to be studying Exodus chapter 16, 22 to 30, if you could turn your Bibles there. Uh, at this time, if you're able to, would you rise 
as we read God's word uh, together. Um, this is the first time ever outside of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are Exodus 20, but in Exodus 16 is the first time the Sabbath is ever commanded by God. And so we'll be studying this passage today. I'll read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you after the reading. All right? This is the reading of God's word. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake, uh, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on, this, on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for you and then I'll seat you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We pray and ask that you would make the Sabbath real for us. That you'd help us, Lord, to practice this, to put into practice, to do what your word says. And not to just merely think and ponder about it. Lord, would you bless us in this time. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, we have three points. The Sabbath is risky is our first point. Uh, the second point is the Sabbath is worship. And then the final point is uh, Sabbath is life, okay? Um, I want to start with a question, right? Have you ever done things you never thought you'd ever do? Have you ever done things you thought you'd never end up doing? Uh, you know, recently I, I listened to a sermon by Rick Warren who wrote the 40, um, uh, the, the 40 Days of Purpose, the, the Purpose Driven Life and the Purpose Driven Church, one of the most uh, best-selling books of all time in Christianity except for the Bible, okay? And um, he was given a sermon and he talked about this story uh, about his pastor, about one of the pastors at his church. And he says this, he said one day this pastor went out and he was uh, wanting to visit one of the elderly uh, women in his congregation. And so he went out to her home. Uh, her husband had just passed away several years ago, and so he just wanted to pop in for a visit. But when he popped in, it was around lunchtime, uh, and he was getting pretty hungry. And so there in her house, as they were sitting down, was a bowl of peanuts. And so he uh, reached over, grabbed one peanut, then he ate two, then he ate four, and then eight. And then soon enough, he ate the whole bowl of peanuts. And so, uh, you know, he, he looked at the woman. He was like, I am so sorry. I ate all of your peanuts. And she looked back at him, and she said this, oh, it's okay, Pastor. I can't actually chew the peanuts after I've sucked off the chocolate. If you didn't get that, he was eating peanuts that she had sucked on the whole time. Have you ever done things you never thought you'd end up doing? Have you ever done things you never thought you'd end up doing? You know, when I was a kid, I used to play this game called Truth or Dare. I don't know how, how many of you have played this game. For my guy friends, we used to play Truth and Dare, and then we realized the truth was super awkward. So, like, we ended up just doing dares only. I'll give you an example. Like, you know, just imagine with me, you know, we're sitting in a circle. We're like, hey, truth or dare? And John would be like, truth, man. And we'd say, like, okay, who do you like? And he'd say, like, Jane Doe. I love Jane Doe, right? She's, she's my girl, right? And we'd be like, oh, snap, Jane. You like Jane, right? And all this stuff, right? Uh, and then we keep going around in a circle. And then finally we get over to, to Bob. And we're like, hey, Bob, truth or dare? And Bob's like, truth. And then we're like, who do you like, right? 
And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, no, no, no. Okay, actually, I, I want to do dare. I want to do dare, right? We're like, no, no, no. You already said truth. You already said it. So you got to do the truth, right? And so then he sheepishly says, Jane. I like Jane as well. And then all of a sudden, guys are like, this is really awkward. Let's not do truth anymore. Uh, and so we just started doing dares. We just started daring people to like jump over tables, to like, you know, eat crazy things, and to just do really wild things. And then those turned into punishments. We'd play games, and whoever lost, uh, the loser would have to do punishment. So I remember having to eat like a whole onion, like a raw onion, like an apple. I remember one of my friends having to eat like a multi, like just a handful of multivitamins, just chew them and chomp them down. By the way, do not do that at home, okay? Do not try these things at home. Um, I remember uh, once uh, we would pour like icy cold water on people's backs uh, as they're like kind of in the push-up position uh, outside in the dead of winter and they would just have to stand out there in the freezing cold all wet. Uh, And these are the kinds of crazy things that dudes do, you know. We dare each other to do things uh, because in some sense it's a little fun to do things that are risky, to do things that are things that you would never end up doing. And the reason I'm talking about this to start today's message is because of this. I dare you to Sabbath. I dare you. I dare you to try it. I dare you because the Sabbath is risky and inherent to the Sabbath is a kind of risk. It's a risk that you won't have enough time to accomplish and accumulate, right? It's a risk that you might not have enough. There's a risk that you might not be promoted unless you work harder and longer than anyone else on your team. And that's why I dare you because inherent to the Sabbath is a kind of risk. But let's be real, right? This risk is not on God's end, right? When God looks at us, he's like, hey, I got you. This is not a risk at all. Like, I'm going to take care of you. But for us, it feels very risky. And this leads us to our passage today. Because I think this passage on manna, as well as this passage on the Sabbath, is actually what God is asking them to do. He's telling them, take risks. Trust in me. Uh, And I'm going to kind of nerd out on you, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this whole manna thing. But I want you to really pay attention to what this manna represents. Okay, so the Israelites, of course, they get freed out of slavery from Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness now, and they get hungry, and they cry out, and they complain to God, God, we're hungry, and so God gives them this thing called manna. But here's the interesting thing. God calls manna bread of heaven. He's like, I'm going to give you bread of heaven. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. But when the Israelites come and see this, the first day that they wake up, they say, what is it? And in fact, that's what manna means. Man or man equals what? And ha equals it. What it? Right? What is it? It's almost like on Christmas Day. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where somebody's like, dude, I got you this amazing gift, right? They give you the gift. You unwrap the gift. You open up. You're like, what is it? <laughs> but it's almost kind of like, it's kind of a mock to their face. You're kind of making fun of them almost to their face because you're like, oh, you think it's so great. But we are like, we're confused as to what this is. And from the very beginning, God calls this bread from heaven. But the Israelites are like, what is it? This isn't good enough. They're already complaining in the name that they've given to this thing by calling it manna. And God would supply manna miraculously day after day after day. I mean, imagine with me, okay? The Bible says this, that they go out into the fields, uh, they pick up, they'd harvest all this manna, but it didn't matter how long they worked. Every time they would only end up with an omer, which is about two quarts. Okay, so even if they worked five hours and they got a qu- uh, two quarts, if they tried to work another five hours, it would just still be a quart. So it was a miracle every day. And so they realized this. Okay, even if I try for five hours or ten hours, it doesn't matter. I'm going to always end up with a two quarts of manna. So I'll just end my day when I get two quarts of manna. But on top of that, the Israelites tried to save this manna overnight. So they would get this omer, and then they would try to eat little bits of it, and then they would save it for the next day. But when they woke up, they realized it was rotten, and there were worms in it. 
And so you have to imagine, imagine this lifestyle for a moment. Imagine where every single night you go to bed, your refrigerator's empty, your pantry's empty, there's no food in the world. And you just have to trust God to provide you your next meal the next day. Imagine that, like you, you don't have food for your kids, you don't have food for your wife, for your husband, you don't have food for yourself, you don't have food. And you just got to wake up and just pray that God will provide your daily bread. It's incredible the kind of provision and rest and trust that they had in God. You see, God, uh, this is what uh, Stuart Douglas says. He's a, he's a New Testament uh, scholar, and he's, or, sorry, an Old Testament scholar, and he says this. He said, God had worked out a simple, effective system for his people. Lazy people were thus disciplined into getting up early enough to get their food for the day because if you remember, manna would melt with the heat of the sun. So if you didn't get up early enough, you didn't get your food. But then he says this, uh, they were disciplined in, uh, in, into getting up early enough to get their food for the day and competitive types were unable to gain any advantage over others by gathering and keeping disproportionate amounts. It's crazy the kind of dependency they had on God. And now when it comes to the Sabbath, God asked the Israelites to put more trust in him. So he's trained them for six days of the week to live a certain way. But then he says this, on the sixth day, you can actually pick up two omers. I'll allow that. You're going to have to work twice as hard, but you're going to have to pick up two omers. But those two omers will last you the two days now. But you got to trust me. And so what happens? They pick up the two omers, but they don't trust God. Some of them go out into the field. On the seventh day, they try to pick up, but there's none to be found. And again, this, what, what this story teaches us, I think, are really three lessons on the Sabbath. And we'll go through these three things really quickly. The first is this. In order to truly Sabbath, we must believe and trust God for his provision. You have to. You have to believe and trust that God will provide for us. You must trust that not in the work of your hands, not in your ability to accomplish and accumulate, but in God. But the second is this. In order to truly Sabbath, we must ask ourselves this pivotal question, what is enough? Right? For the Israelites, they thought one omer is not enough. We got to go get more. But God shows them one omer is more than enough for you. Just take that and go and eat that. And in our lives, what is enough? In other words, maybe our ideas of enough are actually too much. Right? Do you need this much house or could you just live with this much house? Do you need this much money or could you live with this much money? Right? Do you need this much land or could you just have this much land? Do you need this many clothes or this many clothes? You know, I've been, um, for me personally, whenever I, uh, I work out every single day. I don't know why, but working out for me is like a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. It helps me focus. I pray while I work out. Um, uh, but, but also just, uh, it's not a hard task for me. I think because I was raised playing football and wrestling and all this stuff. Like, it's just beating up my body is not a hard thing for me to do. But eating right is so hard for me. I cannot eat right for the life of me. And primarily because I don't know the concept of enough. I'll be honest. Like, I don't know what's enough. Like, sometimes I think this much food is enough. And so, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, like, sometimes I'll eat really good throughout the day, but then dinner comes around. Like, oh, I've eaten so good. Like, I'm super hungry. Like, I haven't eaten enough. And so what I'll do is I'll order at Chick-fil-A. I'll order, like, a spicy deluxe. I'll order a large fries, a large Diet Coke, and then I'll get another chicken sandwich on the side, another spicy sandwich on the side, and then I might even get some nuggets. And after I've eaten all those things, I'm like, this is not enough. I'm still hungry. And you know what, God, you know, over the days, I've been, I've been trying to diet now these days, and I've been trying to, like, eat better. But one of the things that I've learned is that actually that's way too much. I don't need that much. And so these days, my wife, for example, she cooks me uh, this meal called samgitang, which is like a Korean 
uh, chicken soup, basically. It's really healthy. And she just gives me a little bowl, and I have a little bit of rice, like maybe a, a half cup of rice, and I'll eat that, and that's enough. And I actually realized, like, oh, actually, this is more than enough for me. I don't need this much Chick-fil-A. I just need this much food, and I'm okay. And this is what God is challenging us with the Sabbath. Maybe he's not providing what you want, but he's providing enough for you. And lastly, I think God is challenging us with this to prepare and to prioritize the Sabbath. And we're going to talk much more extensively about this, uh, not only in this point, but in the points to come. See, the Sabbath is not about being lazy, friends. Um, I, I think, you know, and, and you know, for, for good fun, and I know people have been joking with me and stuff, they're like, every time it's like, oh, I'm not working, it's like, Sabbath, you know, or like, I'm being lazy, Sabbath, you know. But uh, Sabbath and lazy are not interchangeable words, right? That, that's not how it works. Um, uh, being lazy is being lazy, but the Sabbath actually requires that we work hard in order to Sabbath well. Now, we must not work hard to earn our Sabbath, as Pastor Clara said, but we must work hard so that we can prepare to Sabbath well. And this is what the Israelites were doing. They had to gather twice as much uh, uh, bread for that day in order to prepare for the Sabbath. And in the same way, what we have to do is we have to be able to prioritize our lives in such a way that the Sabbath becomes a priority for us. That we're beginning to rearrange our lives in such a way where we work hard in order to be prepared to Sabbath. You know, like for me personally, I, I know uh, a lot of you think this probably, you know, like I, 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 there's not enough time to Sabbath. I, I don't have enough time to Sabbath. And I definitely wrestled with that too. And, and out of all the people, you know, here, I, I, you know, I have probably more reasons than anyone else to, to say that because I have three little kids, okay? I mean, I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old, okay? This, uh, this is a crazy season of life where uh, unless you've done it, you, you don't understand how difficult having a one, three, and five-year-old. And uh, on top of that, we don't have family here in Washington that help us. We do it all by ourselves, you know? And, and I'm not saying that to brag or boast, but it's just what our lives are right now. And... And I, and I, and, but one of the things that I've had to have done, what, what, the things that I've had to do in my life in order to Sabbath is that because there's so much for me to do, I've had to find out when am I at my best when I'm working. And so literally I wake up, the first thing I do when I wake up is I start, I start with my devotions and then I start working. Why? Because I've learned for myself that I actually get the most accomplished uh, in the morning. And so my best working hours are in the morning. So I devote my hardest tasks to the mornings. And then I, I take my less harder tasks like emails and meetings during the afternoon. And then at night is when I do other things like ministry activities, like college ministry or whatnot, or the, uh, like alpha or those kinds of things. And so I, 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 try to sp I try to even the way in which I work, I've had to adjust it in order so that I can accomplish everything. So that by, by Saturday, I'm able to, or by, by Friday night, I'm able to just shut down and rest completely. I don't play video games. I've cut out all video, video games. I don't watch, I barely watch any TV these days. I don't do social media. The only thing that I really waste my time on is YouTube. And even that, I'm like, I got, I got to stop YouTube. There's too much YouTube. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm saying this because I want to model these things for you. Everything that I'm asking you to do, I want to do myself. And I never want to speak down at you or, or above you, but I want to speak with you and say, hey, it's possible. It's possible. I'm not asking you to trust God willy-nilly and to just say, oh, God, you know, just provide for me. You have to really prepare in order to Sabbath well. Look, I know you said I can't possibly Sabbath. There isn't enough time. But let me say this. Don't let the problems conquer you. You conquer your problems. 
You are creative. You are smart. You are made in the image of God, and you have the capabilities to take any problem and turn it into an opportunity. Right? I mean, this is what we, we talked about this in our staff meeting this past week, that problems are just opportunities in disguise, are they not? And if you're saying, you know, the problem is I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time, that's an opportunity where you can grow. That's an opportunity for you to cut out the excess in your life. It's an opportunity for God to fashion your schedule even more. Problems are just opportunities in disguise. You know, my dad opened up a restaurant about 30-some years ago, and um, my dad just has one of these, like, fighter mentalities. Like, he's going to fight through anything, you know? And uh, when he opened up his restaurant, he was super nervous. He opened it up. They had a grand opening. And the first day of sales, they, they sold uh, about $200 worth of food. And my mom and dad were, like, celebrating. They were super happy. $200, that's great. But he's like, that needs to grow because that can't stay the same. But day after day, week after week, it just kept being at $200, and no one was coming to the restaurant. And so my dad was faced with this problem, but what he said was this, okay, if people are not going to come to my store, I think what I'll do is I'll go to them. And so what he did was he started packing up his lunches. He put them into these little Japanese bento boxes, and he would package them up, and he'd literally take this cooler and go all around to these offices, knocking on their doors, saying, do you want to buy lunch? And he started off with one cooler, and that turned into two coolers, and then three coolers. And then literally he had to hire like five or six guys to go out to all of these different offices because it just kept growing. And then he had to buy multiple vans and send all of these guys out to the, to the far edges of the island to, to begin selling at different offices. And then soon enough, now my dad doesn't have to go out anymore. People just order and cater from him now. And so they cater 100, 200, 300 bentos from him all at the time. And all he's doing is sending out these drivers all over the island. Problems are just opportunities in disguise. And maybe for you, you're saying there's not enough time. Use this problem to be creative. God is a creative God, and he created you in his image, which is why as humans, we were able to create something like AI, GPT chat, or whatever it is, right? Like, this is crazy that humans could invent this thing. We are creative beings. You're smart. You have a really, really big brain. And God has given you so many powers of logic and deduction and reasoning, and you are smart, and you can do it. You are loved. God loves you and he cares about you. He's given you everything you need to Sabbath. And so trust him and, and work hard and be creative and you can make the space and time to Sabbath. Look, here's just one practical idea. Okay, you don't have to take this idea. You can take it if you want. You can, you know, do, what it, do with it what you will. But one super practical idea is this. Okay, take a look at your phones. Look at their screen time, okay? I think for most of us, it's probably seven or eight hours of screen time a day, okay? Take half of that. Cut it out. Say no to it. Okay, so just do four hours of screen time, and then four hours you save now. You, f you save four hours every single day for six days. How many hours do you have left at the end of the week? Math, 24 hours, Sabbath hours. Just an idea. There is enough time. We have the ability to do it, and I just want to commend you and encourage you to do it. Let's move on to our second point. The Sabbath is worship, okay? Now, we're going to talk about this final piece of the Sabbath. We've talked about uh, stopping, resting, delighting, and now we're going to be talking about Sabbath is worship. And so let me start um, by saying this. The, the worship aspect of the Sabbath is really, if you think about it, okay, it, it's the nori around the sushi. You know what I'm talking about? It wraps everything up together, okay? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's like the, the, what do you call it? The bread for the euro, right? It's, it wraps everything together, okay? It's the tortilla for the burrito, okay? It wraps everything together, okay? And it really connects everything together. In other words, it's probably the most important aspect of the Sabbath to make, every, to make sense of all the other things we talked about, uh, stopping, resting, and delighting, okay? 
But let me start with this question, okay? What is your Sabbath like? What is your Sabbath like? Maybe you're Sabbathing, maybe you're not Sabbathing, but let me give you a guess, okay? I'm guessing it's on Sunday, as that's the best day of the week for most people, but here's what a Sunday is like a lot for modern Western Christians. You stay up late on Saturday night, watching a movie or TV or going to a party, you overeat, possibly overdrink, you wake up on Sunday morning in a fog and rush out the door to church in a hurry, that is if you go to church. More and more people don't. After church, you go shopping or watch the game on TV or work around your house or in the yard. Maybe you get ahead on email and plan out your week or meal prep or do homework or whatever. Watch another movie at night, go to bed. And to clarify, that is not Sabbath. I don't say that with even a hint of judgment. I'm not saying this to shame you or to guilt you, but please, so do not feel any of that. It's just an honest appraisal. That is not the Sabbath. Eugene Peterson called what I just described, and I'm going to use a word here that might sound like a curse word, but it's a word that he uses. He calls that a bastard Sabbath. And the reason why he calls it a bastard Sabbath is because it's the unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice from the way of Sabbath. So how do we keep the Sabbath from becoming a bastard Sabbath from just becoming another activity on the weekend? And as we've said throughout, right, we stop, we rest, we delight, but then we finally worship. And so let me review with you some of these things, okay? We, we've been saying that we are intentional about stopping our work and we prepare our schedules far in advance so that we can stop our work, so that we are no longer responding to the tyranny of the urgent. We have the necessary conversations with friends and bosses and managers so that we can stop working. We are intentional about resting our desires. We are intentional about not shopping and buying and wanting and desiring and worrying. And so we create spaces far in advance so that we have time to rest our desires. We are intentional about delighting and enjoying the good things God has already given to us like our friends, our children, uh, our, our food. We are filled with gratitude. We play. We even make love to our spouses. Yes, I said that. In the Talmud, there's a command. The Talmud is a commentary on the Jewish scriptures. There's a command for every couple to make love every Friday night. And all the husbands went, yeah. And all the kids went, ugh. Don't make me think about that. We enjoy nature by walking around or hiking or spending time outdoors. We read books and listen to music. We dance and sing and laugh and take picnics. We watch sunsets and just enjoy the life that God has given to us. And in our final teaching today, we come to one of the most arguably the most important of all the four Sabbaths. It's a day of worship. It is a holy day set apart for God. It is an intentional time of space devoted wholly to God. And this aspect of worship, devoting this whole day to God, is what separates the Sabbath from just having a day off, from just resting, from just stopping. This is what all the other things were pointing to. And so let me put it like this. Let me give a very, very clear illustration, okay? We're heading into wedding season now. Uh, you know, people are getting married, and so I'm, I'm starting to put uh, all these weddings in my schedule. But what happens, right, at a wedding? The bride and groom send you something six months in advance, maybe even sometimes a year in advance. It's called the save the date. You save the date. Why? What are they telling you? They're saying, don't work on that day. Stop what you're doing. Set that day aside for us because we want to celebrate our coming together. And then so what do we do at wedding celebrations? We don't work. We don't bring our laptops to wedding celebrations. I got to send some emails. You're like, bro, you're like, you're like hampering the mood right now. Like, what are you doing? You, you celebrate. You enjoy. You stop. We eat good food. We drink good wine. We listen to great music. We dance on the dance floor. We tell stories of the couple, right? We do all of these things. Why? Because we're celebrating the couple, 
Like, of course, eating, drinking, dancing, listening to music, telling stories, all those things are fine and fantastic and in and of themselves are good things. But when you add the element of celebration of a couple, all of a sudden those mundane things become these life-giving sources of rest, joy, and pleasure. Right? That meal at the wedding is so much greater. And, and you, I'm sure you've already noticed this. The closer you are to the people who are getting married, the better the wedding, is it not? You know what I'm saying? Like if, if that's like your brother or your sister getting married, it's like so good. And then if you just kind of know them, it's like, okay, it's still good, but it's like not the greatest. But if they're like, you know, your, your closest friend, your, your maid of honor or your best man or something like that, it becomes so much more fun. Why? Because all of the eating, all of the music, all of the dancing, all of the celebrating, all of the stopping is geared towards this one thing called celebrating a couple. And you see, this is what the Sabbath is all about. It's all about setting this day aside for God and celebrating Him. And this is what makes the stopping, the resting, the delighting so much sweeter, so much better is when we celebrate God in this entire day. Yes, the Sabbath was made for you, but at the same time, our hearts are most satisfied. Our hearts are most filled with joy when it is glorifying God at its center. And the Sabbath is not complete without this acknowledgement that the whole Sabbath is a day to the Lord. Let's look at our passage, okay? Look at verse 23. This is what Moses says. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a Shabbat, a holy Shabbat, a holy stoppage to the who? To the Lord. See, let's, let's take this word holy apart, okay? Holy doesn't mean good or evil. It can mean those things because let's just say the world is evil and God is asking you to be holy. What would that mean? It would mean for you to be set apart. This is what holiness means. Holiness just means being set apart, being very different and unique. And so if the world is evil, so it could mean that you need to be good in order to set yourself apart from the world, okay? But holiness at its core is really this set-apartness, this uniqueness, this specialness. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, look, do this stoppage so that you can especially set apart this one day. Make it special and unique just for me. Like, I want to spend a day with you. I want to date with you. I want to feast with you. I want to celebrate with you. I want you to meet me on this day. And so look, just like a Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? What do we do on that day? Of course, we honor Martin Luther King Jr. whenever we think of him, but... On Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we especially remember him. Or like your china dishes, right? You probably have dishes at home that you save especially just for special occasions. And what you're doing is you're making holy dishes that are meant only for special occasions. And in the same way, we make a Sabbath, a day that is very different than all the rest of the days, that are unique, that's holy, that's other apart from all the other days of the week. And this is what makes the Sabbath holy. You see, I'm going to nerd out on you just one more time, but, but listen, right? The Bible says God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. But the Bible also says something really interesting. It says that God is especially present in certain situations. Like the temple, right? The temple had the special presence of God. The tabernacle had the special presence of God. And Jesus Christ, when he was incarnated in the flesh, the special presence of God was in him. And in the same way, what Moses is saying here is that God is especially present on the Sabbath. Yes, he's of course always around, but he's especially present in this 24-hour period called the Sabbath. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel called the Sabbath this. He said it's architecture in time. He said this, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals in time. Because this is a time, a moment of the week where God says, I'm going to especially show up here and I want you to meet me here. 
in this time, in this 24-hour period, I want you to meet me here. So do you see the Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside, not just for stopping, resting, and delighting, but its primary purpose is to be for the Lord, specially unique for Him. To put it another way, it's a day of worship and celebration of who God is and what He has done for us. Look, here's the point. All of us are worshiping something, are we not? It's not about what we're worshiping. Sorry, it's not about if we're worshiping or not. It's what are we worshiping. I want you to listen to David Foster Wallace. He gave a, a speech at a, at a commencement. And listen to what he says about worship here. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spirituality type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're a kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day. Do you worship What do you worship? What do you worship? And if you're worshiping something, you're being formed into this image. Let me put it a little bit differently. All of us have priorities, and we revolve our lives around these priorities, do we not? Let me give you an example, right? In 1543, there was this guy named Copernicus who discovered that the sun doesn't go around us, the earth, but we actually go around the sun. In fact, we realize that actually all the planets, all, all, I think there's eight now, right? Because Pluto is no longer a planet. But okay, all eight planets revolve around the sun and not the other way around. You know what it means to revolve your lives around something. You plan, you prepare, you save the date, you make sure that this thing is untouchable. And you make sure it is there, it is steady, it is stable. That might be comfort for you. Where you make sure that comfort is always available to you. And if you don't have comfort, then man, no ways. Maybe for some of you, it's your work. Like pleasing your boss. Like this is an unmovable priority in your life. Maybe it is a girl or a boy. Maybe it is finding a home. Maybe it's uh, being able to watch certain TV shows or doing this kind of pleasurable things. Right? Maybe that's the thing that you're revolving your lives around. All of us have something we're revolving our lives around. I'll take myself, for example. I revolve my life around my children because I worship my children, and that's a sin. Everything I do in life is for my kids, for my kids, for my kids, but do you know what happens? It's the same thing with worship. I end up crushing them because my expectations of them is to be godlike, is to be excellent in everything that they do, and when they disappoint me, which they do, and they will continuously do, I crush them with my expectations. Man, I'll tell you, there was one time, and this is, by the way, he's only five. My, my son, Josiah, is only five. He did Taekwondo, and there was one day where, man, he was messing up so bad. And you know what I did to him? I didn't say, hey, you know, just try harder next time, or, hey, man, you can do it, right? 
Man, I grilled him, a five-year-old, for like the next 30 minutes. My wife and I were like, what were you doing? You embarrassed us in front of the master, all of this stuff. Why? Because I worship my kids. You know what it means to revolve your life around something. You will orient your life around something. Put your faith, hope, and love onto something. Find your identity, community, and sense of meaning and purpose in something. Pursue it. Sacrifice for it. Discipline yourself for it. The question is simply what? Not if you do it, but what is it in your life? And on the Sabbath, what we do is we say the priority above all priorities is to stop, rest, to delight, and to worship. We are going to prioritize our lives around this day first. And then we're going to design all the other days around that day. We're going to save the date for the Sabbath day and make it holy, make it special, make it unique, make it different. And then all the other days, we'll kind of squeeze in whatever other priorities we have. Look, this is going to sound a little old school and a little archaic. And maybe for some of you, it might bring flashbacks for you. Maybe bad ones, maybe good ones. But I remember as a kid hearing these older Christians. This is when I was a little kid, probably like, probably like middle school. I remember hearing of these older Christians who would go to sleep early on Saturday nights. And I'd be like, why are you guys going to sleep early on Saturday? They're like, got to get ready for worship. I was like, bro, that's like too much. <laughs> but they would go to sleep early. They'd make sure to get their coffee in their systems. They would arrive five to ten minutes early to prepare to worship God. They would get dressed in their Sunday best. Right? And they would come with their suit and ties. They would come with their beautiful dresses and their uh, done-up hair. And, and they would do all this because they were like, we want to give God our best. They would sit in the sanctuaries absolutely quiet as they prepared their hearts and minds to usher in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And look, I know for some of you, this was forced onto you, which maybe brings back like kind of, oh, like, and I'm sure some of, some of the older Christians, they may have done this out of legalism and kind of a Pharisaic mindset. But if done beautifully and with heart and with intention, it is a beautiful thing, is it not? That if these Christians were actually doing it because they set aside this day to make it completely unique, completely different from all the other days of the week, and making worship a priority, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Look, for weddings, we save the date. We anticipate, we prepare, we wear our best suits and our dresses, we do our hair just right and our makeup just right for the couple. And when we arrive, we generally arrive on time, giving that day to the couple. And should we not organize our lives around the Sabbath all the more? Should we not save the date for every single Sunday? Should we not prepare to stop our work, to prepare to rest our desires, to prepare to enjoy and to prepare to worship and celebrate and devote this 24-hour period to the Lord himself? God is saying, I'm going to meet you on this day especially. And think about this, like just picture your favorite celebrity. And let's just say your favorite celebrity, for me it's Conan O'Brien, right? Imagine if Conan O'Brien said, Eric, I want you to save October 13th, 2023. Uh, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you. Dude, I'm telling you, I'll save that date today. I don't even care if I have to baptize somebody. I'll be like, I'm, can we put your baptism next week? I'm going to save that date. I'm going to prepare for that date. I'm going to be like, what am I going to say to Conan? What am I going to cook for Conan? What am I going to do for Conan? Like, what are, you know, what are we going to talk about? I would think about it. You're going to come to meet God, and he's saying, I'm especially present in this Sabbath moment. You're coming to meet me and to give me this holy day of yours. Imagine your birthday. It's a special day, one day out of the year where you, where there's something unique and special that's supposed to be done for you on that day. But imagine if you're a husband or a wife 
and, and it's your birthday, but your spouse doesn't remember to make that day special and to make that day unique. Or imagine if you have friends and they fail to make that day unique and special for you. Would you not grieve that day? Would you not be saddened by that day? And I wonder at times if God grieves when we profane the Sabbath, when we don't make it special and unique because he shows up and says, I'll be here every Sunday. I'll be here every week. And I know for a lot of us, we're trying to wrap our minds around that, but God is especially present on the Sabbath. See, I think we try to squeeze Jesus into our life, but Jesus says, wrap your life around me. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm trying to do the Sabbath thing, and I'm trying to meet you here. Make that a priority, and then come and fit all the things in your life into this. Instead of doing all the things that you would like to do and then squeezing the Sabbath in. This is why our Sabbaths don't work. This is why our Sabbaths are so filled with anxiety and restlessness and work and over and overeating and overindulging and not worshiping and resting and stopping and delighting in God. You know, I'll be honest, like even on days where I'm not at this church, like sometimes I use this phrase. I said, I, I will literally say to my wife, hey, let's get worship out of the way first. <laughs> let's get it out of the way. So if we're like visiting LA, we're going to go visit a church. Like because we want to do all the fun things that day, we'll just say, let's get worship out of the way. As if worship is just a task to be done on this day. And friends, do you realize that Sunday and worshiping God is the reason why we exist? And what God is asking, just like the tithe, right? Just 10% of your money. He's saying, give me just one day out of the week. That's especially for me. This leads us to our third and final point. The Sabbath is life. Look, this part of the passage really spoke to me and really stood out to me. And I hope this doesn't sound like a judgment upon you, but I really want you to think about what Moses is saying here, okay? Look what he says in verse 28 and verse 29. And the Lord said to Moses, How long, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long? He says in verse 29, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. How long will you refuse to put aside the Sabbath? How long will we reject the gift that God has given to us? God is literally sitting there saying, like, I'm giving you this gift, but we keep saying, oh, no, 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 I, I don't want that. Actually, no, thank you. And God is just asking, how long? The Sabbath was made for you. Do you understand that the stopping, the resting, the lighting, and worshiping was made for you? And I'm giving it to you as a gift, but how long? In Psalm 95, there's this interesting psalm where it starts off with this praise and adoration and like this, the psalmist is like, praise and shout, clang your cymbals together, strum the heart, do all these things, right? sing, sing, sing. And then at the, really, at the middle of the psalm, it just takes this like turn. You're like, bro, dude, why are you getting so dark all of a sudden? He's like, today, if you, if you harden your heart towards the Lord's voice as they did in Meribah and Massa, you will not rest, right? You're like, whoa, dude, like calm down, man. But what he's talking about is the time in the wilderness. He's talking about how the people of God hardened their hearts and they did not listen to God. They did not receive his invitation. And so in Psalm 95 verse 11, it ends with this. They shall not enter my rest. And it's not because God doesn't want them to enter his rest. It's because they're choosing not to enter his rest. In order to worship God, in order to rest, we must listen and obey the Sabbath because every time we choose to disobey God in any aspect of our life, what we're essentially saying is no thank you to life and to rest and to beauty and to grace. And we're saying yes to death itself. 
Every time we choose to say no to the Sabbath, yes, we're choosing to reject life. But at the same time, what is death? Death is the absence of life. Death is not something. It is the absence of the presence of life. And so I'm not asking this to guilt you, but how long will you choose death over life? You know, in the Old Testament, it's, you know, and I just actually recently read through this and I was like, man, like, it's kind of crazy, right? But like in the Old Testament, uh, you know, God gives a Sabbath law, but then uh, God says this as well. He'll say, if you don't Sabbath, you should kill the person who doesn't Sabbath. You're like, bro, like what? God, like why would you kill the person who doesn't Sabbath, right? And my Old Testament professor would say something to this effect. He would say that in the Israelite community, they probably actually didn't really kill people for not Sabbathing. Um, but he was saying that God is actually making this command so serious. And I would actually take this command uh, this, this a little bit further and say this. I think the reason why God orders death for people who decide not to Sabbath is because he's simply saying this. Look, when you choose not to Sabbath, you're just choosing death. Like, and so if that's what you want, then I'll give it to you. And in fact, if you look at the punishments that God doles out throughout the Old Testament, it's very much in this line. God essentially gives people what they want. So when the Israelites, for example, want to worship the Ammonite gods, he's like, okay, you can go ahead and do that. But the Ammonite gods will now rule over you, and the Ammonite people will rule over you, and they're harsh, and they're brutal people. But if that's what you want, then there you go, have it. And so that's why these people, the Israelites were enslaved by the Ammonite community, because they worshiped their gods. God does this again and again and again. He gives you the very thing that you desire. And for some of us, we reject the Sabbath, and we want death over life. Look, thousands of years after giving the bread of heaven, Jesus would come and say this in John chapter 6, verses 32. He would say this, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Moses didn't give you the manna. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him then this, Sir, give us this bread always. Don't you want this bread, the bread that gives you life and life abundant? And do you know how Jesus responds to them? It's kind of interesting. Jesus says this in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And listen to this. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever believes in me. So how do you eat this bread? How do you get this bread? By believing in Jesus. And how do you believe in Jesus? By just intellectually ascending or by believing him and doing what he says to do. You, do, you, you eat the bread of life by doing what Jesus has commanded you to do. And Jesus commands us to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship every week. One day, six days we work, one day we rest. And he's saying, if you follow me, you will eat the bread of living life. You will eat this bread from heaven every single day. And so the question now is this, do you believe Jesus is enough? Do you believe Jesus and trust him? Do you believe him that he will actually do what he says he will do? Do you believe that Jesus is the manna, the bread from heaven is enough for you and me? Or are we like the Israelites where Jesus is not enough, where the manna is not enough and we keep grumbling for more and more wanting to go back to the empire again and again and again? Is Jesus enough and do you believe that? Do you believe his commandments are enough? Do you believe that his love and his grace over your life is enough? 
you know, Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father. And in his obedience, life came spewing out to the whole world. He was like a seed that died in the ground. But when it died in the ground, a plant sprang up. And this plant provided fruits for all the world. Yes, he died on a cross for us. But from that death came life and life abundant for all of us who receive him in Jesus' name. And if you receive him and you trust him and you believe him, you will follow after him. You will follow what he's commanded us to do and life will follow after you. I want to start where I began this sermon. I dare you to Sabbath. I dare you to prioritize Jesus and his Sabbath. I dare you to place your trust and believe in Jesus. And I dare and I dare you to see if Jesus is enough. I dare you, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'll be the first to admit, Lord, that I don't worship and prioritize you at the center of my being. I worship my children. I worship this church sometimes. I worship my ministry, Lord. I worship my work. So Lord, I come back in repentance, turning my life towards you once again and saying, Lord, that I'm going to prioritize you first and then I'm going to fit everything else into my life. And so Lord, would you give us strength, God? I know there's so many in this congregation, Lord, right now who are perhaps feeling the same thing that I feel, Lord, repentance, confession, but also desire, Lord, to prioritize the Sabbath. And so Lord, we ask that you would give us the energy the reason, the logic, the creativity, Lord, to make time, to make space, Lord, that we might Sabbath and worship you. God, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.